Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Oz Movie Geek podcast. I'm your host, Pato. Today I'll be doing a review of Love and Monsters, a film that I wasn't going to review just for the simple fact that it wasn't out here in Australia until it just recently dropped on Netflix, literally, I think, yesterday. So at the time I'm recording this, uh, on April 14th, so... Yeah, pretty crazy that it's just randomly dropped here, but at the same time, I'm quite happy it has. I did hear really good things when it initially came out, Um, but yeah, it was just a victim of the COVID-19 pandemic and unfortunately didn't receive a wide release uh, here in Australia, and I don't think it even got a big release over in America either, um, debuting in theatres, but also on streaming around the same time, so It was one of those films that unfortunately just didn't get that attention that it probably deserved because I actually really had a great time with this film. I thought it was funny, it had a lot of heart, um, and it was just really well written and something that I wasn't really, yeah, expecting. So I I was really excited to, yeah, delve into it really. Um, It is at a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes and 89% audience score, so it is extremely... Highly rated and regarded among critics and even just audience members. So, yeah, like I said, it was something that I wasn't expecting to watch. Um, but I was really looking forward to it. I love that first trailer. The poster's awesome. Um, and I really like the premise. And not knowing too much about the director, as this is his first major motion picture, um, I didn't really know what to expect. But I was pleasantly support, uh, surprised. And I've literally just watched the film. So I thought why not just turn on the microphone now and just go through what I liked um, and, yeah, really discuss it and get the word out there because I don't think a lot of people have seen this film. So, yeah, I thought let's get into it and let's talk about it. So without further ado, let's just get stuck into talking about it. So take it away, trailer. Don't move. Let me see it. Don't move. Amy. Let me see it. Okay. Ready? Mm Mm-hmm. I love it. That's super sweet, because it's terrible. <laughs> oh, my God. Where have you been, Joel? Amy, I love you. I'm going to come find you. The day of the monster uprising was the day I lost everyone. Only a small fraction of humanity survived to move underground. I've been scanning for Amy the entire time. And now, I finally found her. Joel! Hey! Joel! Amy, is that you? Oh my god! Hey! How far away is Amy's colony? 85 miles. It's an impossible journey. Everyone will try to kill you. Don't fight. Just run and hide. Uh, okay. You really got me going. You got me so I don't know what I'm doing. You all alone? Me too. You don't have to talk about it. You want to come with me? Look out! Is that a samurai sword? Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Listen to your instincts out here, man. What if I have terrible instincts? You'll die. Super encouraging speech. This way for a girl, huh? You ever hear the term fools, Aaron? No! Amy! I miss you so much. We have lost this war. We could still take our world back. You're more of a survivor than I thought. 
Oh, I feel like Tom Cruise. So Love and Monsters was directed by Michael Matthews and stars Dylan O'Brien, Jessica Hamwick, Michael Rooker, Dan Ewing, uh, and Ariana Greenblatt. And in a a monster-infested world, Joel, played by Dylan O'Brien, learns his girlfriend is just 85 miles away. To make the dangerous journey, Joel discovers his inner hero to be with the girl of his dreams. So like I mentioned, this was a victim of the COVID-19 pandemic and didn't receive the major release that it probably should have. And like many films, I guess, uh, Paramount's approach to this one was, let's just release it. Um, We might just cut our losses here, just see what happens. Maybe people want to check it out on streaming. We'll just see what happens. So that's the approach that they took. Um, And maybe to the detriment of the studio, because Paramount haven't had a string of hits in a while. Their major franchise is, of course, Mission Impossible and the Transformers films. They don't seem to have a lot of hits outside of that. They have delved a little into the supernatural and the science fiction with films like Super 8 um, and recently Monster Trucks as well, which when I first saw the trailer, I was a bit worried. Uh, Monster Trucks came out a couple years ago now um, and followed a very similar kind of, you know, um, I guess, audience demographic that they were really aiming towards. And I thought that Love and Monsters was going for that same kind of vibe, but... After watching the film, I can tell you that it is different. This film is more mature than what Monster Trucks is and is a much better film than what um, Monster Trucks was. But I really did like the approach that this film takes. We have a really likable lead in Dylan O'Brien, who I think... I I don't want to say he was typecasted because he hasn't really appeared in enough to have been typecasted, but I was a bit worried when he did appear in those Maze Runner films that he was going to be just generic guy... Um, he has a lot of charisma and he's quite charming and he was uh, really, really good here. And I, I like that he was able to actually explore a lot of that. And he really does hold the film together because we spend the entire film with him. Um, yeah, literally the entire film. There's rarely a shot that doesn't have him in it. So it's a lot um, to really put on his shoulders, but I think he does a really good job at carrying it. He is able to display a lot of emotion, which I wasn't expecting. Um, And really, it's his film. There's so much that he gets to do here um, as an actor. He's quite funny. Uh, He has to be quite physical in certain aspects as well. And there's moments that really ask him to, I guess, be vulnerable. Um, And he gets to show his dramatic side, which I really did enjoy. Um, The film rushes into, I guess, what's going on. We get a little bit of a prologue where... Dylan O'Brien's essentially, or Joel, is is telling us what's going on, what's happened. Um, the general premise for the monster invasion, which I'll get into mild spoilers here, um, is that there was uh, an asteroid heading towards Earth. They sent up these rockets to destroy it. The rockets destroyed the asteroid, but the chemicals that were in the rockets came back down to Earth and have infested like just regular animals and have muta- uh, mutated them. Humans weren't affected by it, but all the animals were, so... Now, you know, like a cockroach is now the size of a building kind of thing, and that that's the idea. So these monsters now rule the Earth. 95% of the human population is dead, and the remaining um, population has formed colonies. These colonies normally live underground or live towards the coastline. Um, and, yeah, that's essentially the way that the world is. So we're following Dylan O'Brien and his colony. Um, he essentially mentions at the start of the film that 
everyone in his colony has a partner. He's the only single one. So that's what sort of drives him to reconnect with his girlfriend who he finds is still alive and is actually in a colony on the coast only 85 miles away. So we get a moment um, in like a little flashback sequence uh, showing uh, the connection that he did have with his girlfriend, Amy. Um, And I really liked that sequence. It was really well handled. It was really cute. um, But it was just really well... Um, established it it didn't feel unnecessary and a lot of the time with those sequences it can feel a lot like that Uh, I actually wanted to make a comparison to 10 Cloverfield Lane a film that I absolutely adore but just in the sense that the flashbacky kind of stuff that we get is really plot driven and character driven so it does actually serve a point it's not there to because, you know, the screenwriter couldn't really figure out a way to display an emotional display, um, I guess, what the character's feeling. We get that still, but it's done in a meaningful way. I just really like the way that all of those sequences were handled. Um, there's a fantastic sequence uh, later on in the film when uh, we find out that Joel freezes. When, when something goes wrong, he freezes. He can't sort of overcome that fear that he feels when, you know, faced with danger. So... We get a little, um, I guess, a little reasoning behind why that is. Um, We get a flashback with his parents who were killed uh, during the uh, monster invasion, essentially. And um, he sort of was helpless to really save them. And that's where a lot of that comes from. So there's a lot of character stuff here, which I really did enjoy. And I really liked the way that it was all set up. It didn't feel unnecessary. It all felt relevant to the plot and I I really did enjoy that and I I really like the mythology here too it's actually a really fun universe that they've established and I feel that if this film had have received a a wide release and had been successful which I think if it was released in the summer uh, during you know like a regular movie going season this could be one of those ones that sneaks into a top 10 um, highest grossing list because it has the likability there for you know just a fun popcorn flick I actually got Back to the Future vibes from this film. And for those who don't know, Back to the Future is probably my favourite blockbuster franchise of all time. And I know Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, I know you can throw all of them at me, but I find myself really loving the Back to the Future films. I don't know if it's because of its simplicity or just the characters. I'm not entirely sure what my draw towards that franchise is, but I just adore those films. And the camaraderie and chemistry between Doc and Marty is just something that I've always really liked here. And I feel that in this film, Dylan O'Brien is kind of channeling, you know, like a, a younger Michael J. Fox. I actually felt Marty McFly vibes from him. I don't know if it was the dialogue delivery or just how, you know, charming that Dylan O'Brien was on screen. I'm not entirely sure what it was, but the, the feeling that I got when watching it, I was like, this feels like an 80s film. And not with, you know, not being like Stranger Things or you know, the the other nostalgia trips that we're getting at the moment. And, you know, no no disrespect to those um, properties. I, I've, you've heard me review Stranger Things. I, I love it. But what I think this film does is it doesn't directly reference the 80s. It just feels like an 80s film in tone. And that's probably the best way to pay respects to that decade of cinema because you're not, you know, overtly just referencing, you know, oh, there's Top Gun, there's Back to the Future. You're not throwing those references out there. You're just referencing it by being like them, which is completely fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. What I don't like is when they, uh, you know, overuse pop music and 
you know, 80s rock and roll. And that there was none of that here, which I, I really did enjoy. In the trailer, you kind of get the feeling that's what they're going for. But, yeah, it, it didn't actually play out like that, which I really enjoyed. Now, um, our character Joel meets up with Clyde, played by Michael Rooker, um, and his friend, which we think is the daughter at the start, but we learn a bit along the way, um, which is Ariana uh, Grenblatt's character, Minot. So... Uh, Joel meets up with those uh, two along the way, along with a gorgeous dog named Boy. And Boy has an awesome character arc in this film too, which is just, un you know, it's not unnecessary, but it's something that, that they don't need to do. But they give this dog a character arc where you're just like, okay, this dog has a lot more depth than 90% of the characters that are out there in mainstream cinema at the moment. So this is really awesome to see. Um, but essentially, yeah, we, we have this foursome uh, going along on this journey, and they're, they're just all really likeable characters, and I wish we got to spend a little more time with them, and that made me think when watching this, I was like, this is a really good film, but I could see these characters playing out in a bigger part over a TV series, you know, like an eight-part TV series would be really nice, but at the same time, the film handles everything so well that it, it you know, the plot's constantly moving, but without sacrificing anything... We have the dialogue over the top of Dylan O'Brien explaining what's going on along the way in the form of letters that he's writing to Amy. And I enjoyed that as well because it sort of gives that internal monologue of what's going on and what he's thinking, um, whilst also, you know, developing these characters a little more too. So um, Boy's character, um, the dog, um, essentially uh, we find out that he had an owner. He's all by himself uh, living in this... Um, this old caravan or like camper van um, and he carries around a red dress which from what um, Joel's able to distinguish is the dress of his owner and I really really enjoyed that it was really touching it plays a part into the third act as well um, which I really enjoyed and I, I just liked the way that they added that little detail like I said unnecessary maybe but at the same time you've added character to a dog um, which really makes you connect with it because, you know, anytime you see a dog on screen, you're like, oh, so cute, doggy. So you always like, um, yeah, you always connect with them. But to actually give the dog a character arc, I was really impressed by and I really enjoyed that. I also really like, yeah, j just the camaraderie between that group of characters. Um, we find out that uh, Clyde, Michael Rooker's character, his son passed away. Um, and we find out as well that Minot's character, um, her um, father passed away, so they've found like a little bond, and they're on their way to the mountains because they reckon if they get to the mountains, they're going to be safe from the monsters sort of thing. So that's their aim, and they just take Joel along for the ride, really, and I really enjoyed that. I thought that that was a really good camaraderie and really good character stuff too, so they were really good together. Um I guess where the film kind of faltered for me was in the third act. Um, we have a third act reveal of a villain who presents himself, which was really obvious from when that character is introduced. Um, and I just thought that it was a little over the top and unnecessary. I thought the character stuff that was already there, honestly, if the threat was just that there's monsters and they have to get from A to B, completely fine with that. I think that the deflation of this third act introduction of a villain was completely unnecessary and it sort of deflated a little of the that part of the film for me um i, I really couldn't care less um but at the same time i do appreciate that they went for something but it just didn't really pay off for me 
Um, Michael Matthews as well as a filmmaker, I think does a really good job here with some of his shot composition and that's to the uh, credit of the director of photography as well. But I think um, a lot of the sequences, the, there are some really nice um, and beautiful shots that are, that are utilised, just like really scenic um, shots that really show the locations that they filmed in. I thought that was really cool. And the use of practical effects too. Now, there are a lot of CGI shots here. Some are unfinished, I noticed too, just maybe because they did decide to release it on streaming as well. They didn't think to put that extra bit of cash into it to finalise some of those shots. But some of the shots looked really really good and I think that was because of the use of practical effects it's a great sequence at the start of the film where it's like an ant um, that's been mutated um, confronts Joel and it's all practical effect and I was just like wow that looks fantastic and they introduced him in shadows it was just really cool really good stuff I really enjoyed it but um, blending that CGI with the practical was done pretty seamlessly. Like I said, there's some shots that are a little unfinished, um, but I can excuse it just for the fact that the film probably would have looked a little better if it did get a major cinematic release, but because of COVID-19, of course, it it didn't. So we're here with what we've got. So I, I was fine with it, and I think that they did a really good job of blending those effects together. Um, I'm a sucker for practical effects. I've mentioned it a gazillion times, but... I just feel that if you're going that route, you need to go all in. Um, you need to do those effect shots, um, and they do it here for the most part, and there's some really good stuff. And there's a shot at the end with one of the creatures. It's a crab creature, um, and there's like it's the whole sequence in general, not just one single shot. But with that sequence, they do a really good job of blending that CGI with the practical. Uh, there's a practical claw definitely being used, um, and you can see that as well as some of the uh, close-up shots. If it was a miniature, I'm not entirely sure, but it just looked fantastic. So I really appreciate that, and I think it looks really good. Um, and, yeah, I, I think as far as, you know, a film that probably would have received a wider release, uh, and we definitely would have got it in theatres here in Australia if it wasn't for COVID-19, I would have loved to have seen it on the big screen. Um, I'm happy that it came to Netflix, but at the same time, I wish it would have just got like a straight to blu-ray or dvd release because i would have rather seen it in that capacity it is available on blu-ray for like 25 bucks on amazon which i'm thinking of just buying just so i can watch those special features but i really did enjoy the film guys i think it was really fun something i wasn't expecting uh which made me just enjoy it even more i love when you know i, I was thinking what am i going to watch tonight I, I have work off tomorrow so l let's watch something let's stay up a bit later and you're flicking through, but as soon as I clicked on Netflix, I saw that it was there, and I was like, well, I wanted to see that, so let's just press play. And I'm really glad I did because I had a great time with it. So I'm going to give this one an 8.5 out of 10. It feels like a high rating, but really, guys, it does deserve it. This was a really, really entertaining film. Well written. I love the character stuff. I thought the actors were all great. Shout out to Michael Rooker. He's always fantastic when he shows up. I wish there was more of him in this film, but I really enjoyed seeing him, and I love seeing that he gets these roles here and there, you know, the bigger roles, because he's a really good actor, and he's quite entertaining in this film. Um, but yeah, check out Love and Monsters, guys. It's honestly fantastic. Uh, I had a really good time with this, and it's probably one of the better big-budget uh, films that I've seen in quite some time. And I, I know I said that about Godzilla and Kong, but I think it was just the scale and the cinematic experience of Godzilla vs. Kong, but as far as an actual film and just like the way that the film is made and everything, I, I really did enjoy this one, guys. I, I had a really good time and I just wasn't expecting it. So 
definitely go and check it out. It's streaming on Netflix. And like I said, you can actually pick it up on Blu-ray pretty cheap from Amazon too. And it's a region-free Blu-ray. So support physical media where you can. That brings this episode to a close, guys. So thank you all for listening. I've got plenty of reviews out at the moment, including Wonder Woman 1984, Run. Um, I also had a chance to see Bad Trip. I've got plenty of reviews out there. So go and check them all out, guys. And until next time, peace out. Thank <music> you.